When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's, it's good to see everyone here today. Um, it's regrettable under these circumstances. You know, all good things come to an end. Um, oh, but hello. Damn. And welcome. My name is Luke Job. My name is Jack Dean. My name is Raven Walker. And this is Modular. The podcast where we take you through the modules written by Wizards of the Coast for the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. That's right, Jack. These are the pre-written stories made up by the folks who made up D&D. We didn't write them, but we're here to run them for you. And why would we do that? Well, Jack, maybe you're a DM who is thinking about running a particular campaign and you want to get a feel for how it plays out. Maybe you're a player who's already been in this particular campaign and you want to reminisce on the good old days. Maybe you want some really great tips for how to kind of tweak the rise of Tiamat (laughs) and Tyranny of Dragons in general. Well, this is the episode for you. But you should be warned, each of our episodes will take on a part of these pre-written adventures. That means there are major spoilers for the key plot points of each story we are running. And right now we are talking about us running the Rise of Tiamat. So if you don't want spoilers for literally the entire campaign, not just Rise of Tiamat either, the first one as well, Horde of the Dragon Queen, that one, Tyranny of Dragon, the whole thing, the whole shebang. Get out of here. Get out of here if you don't want any of that. And there is one more warning we should offer them. That's right, Raven. Modular is not a podcast for children. It contains explicit language as well as adult themes like sex, alcohol, drug use, violence, and saying goodbye to characters you've built and lived with and played and thought about and designed and written and created with for over a year, long over a year. Um, Yeah. So please be aware of those not-so-kid-friendly themes. (laughs) Wow. Uh, well, now, without further ado, welcome to Sagular. <laughs> and our sad talk back of the rise of Tiamat. It's a modular pod. It's a modular pod. Little D&D for you and me. Oh, yeah. All right. We're all in here. here we are. A question to sync us up. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Thorin. Out of the first generation of Pokemon... Which starter <laughs> do you pick? Squirtle. Hell yeah. All right, Raven, out of the first generation of Pokemon, who do you pick? Hmm. I think we've done this question before, actually. Um, but Charmander. I don't think we have. I don't think we have either. 
I feel like we've asked cool something it. about Pokemon starting starters. I think before. we've we've probably talked about it before, but I don't think we've ever used this question to sync up. <laughs> valid, yeah. valid, valid. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh step on toes. I said Charmander. Okay. And Jack, sure. what about you? Well, I guess that leaves me Bulbasaur. <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> well, you can pick the same one. You don't have to pick Bulbasaur. <laughs> then mine would mine would be Squirtle. Yeah, because then because then pick, who would Luke pick? I yeah. also pick Squirtle. So it's just three Pikachu. Squirtles, three Squirtles, and a, a Charmander in here. Uh, dude, yeah. Blastoise is a fucking giant turtle with cannons on his back. Okay, there's you like, don't get cooler than that. It doesn't get, get cooler. Is that than wine? That. Yeah, it's wine. It's a Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, okay, it's, it's, a, a Sauvignon it's the same Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc I was drinking before. <laughs> Um, Sorry, it's just three o three p.m. where we're where we're, where we're and at, it's so. my fucking day off, so I don't want to hear it. Nice. <laughs> so Thorin has to run bevy. to work, so we're gonna do this uh, talk back a little different than usual. We're gonna hit Thorin with all of their uh, DM questions first, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. once they've answered those, we'll move on uh, to, to other questions for the three of us. Thorn can go skedaddle and, and uh, serve the public, and we will continue to chat. Uh, and also, if you haven't noticed, we don't have our beloved Holly Lyons for this talk back. Uh, she unfortunately did not get Juneteenth off, which is very fucked up, but it is what it is. Holly has uh, temporarily passed away. So, oh. in memoriam, <laughs> RIP Holly. Is, like... I mean, obviously, there's a cultural difference here because we don't have Juneteenth, so I don't really get it. But is like, is not letting people have Juneteenth off not racist? <laughs> like, is that not? So, so here's the deal. Yes, it is, Jack. And um, here's the here's <laughs> um, here's here lies the problem. So in America, if it's like it, it, if it's a federal holiday, states also have their own jurisdiction to decide what what they do with holidays. So in North Carolina. Juneteenth is not a mandated everyone gets the holiday off. State jurisdictions can decide what they do. So even sure. though Holly and I both work for the public school system, um, Holly does not get the day off because she works for a, uh, how do I say this in a nice way, um, conservative county. Fair enough. So, I work for That's a non-conservative <laughs> county. So therefore you can see the differences. Sure. Of course. Of course. And there you have it, folks. And there's the American, <laughs> uh, the American system for you. Um, it's lovely. Okay, so I'm going to start uh, off with a question from Facebook. This is from our dear Casey Kirkpatrick. Thorin, um, I think we all know the answer to this question. But Casey wants to know how Thorin scales down the encounters for a party of three since most are designed for larger parties Technically, four to six is what each module is designed for. How do you scale down your encounters, Thorn? Um, that's a good. That's a really good question. Um, and the really good answer that I want to give is that I don't really think about it. I just kind of <laughs> shape the encounters into what I think would be easier or difficult for you all. Um, the book has very good guides on how to do that. Um, it, it definitely. And, and D&D Beyond also has a very good guide on to what does and doesn't make an encounter um, hard or easy. So I just kind of de- deal with that. Right. Very good very good question, Casey Kirkpatrick. Nice job, Casey. Nice job. Okay. 
This is also obviously a question for Thorin. This is from our Discord. Uh, Tin LaSoul, uh, our good friend Ten, who is a, a, a big fan of the pod, he asks you, Thorin, has it gotten harder to challenge your players as they got to higher levels besides the obvious? What challenges are there expanding uh, the table from three to six PCs and those new classes that the secondary uh, backup characters bring? So that's a two-part question. Mm-hmm. Has it gotten harder? And what challenges you have you experienced jumping from three to six? Yes, it has gotten significantly harder um, because you guys just love to you just love to to min max, don't you? Just love to make your characters in the most efficient ways possible. Um, I would say expanding them from three to six, it's just hard to balance uh, because there are so many varieties between melee and magic classes that it's like if I go fully anti-magic, well, that's going to make it really easy for the melee. And if I go fully anti-melee, that's going to make it really easy for the magic. And I feel like there's always going to be one. I I don't currently feel that I have the skill to make one that's fully balanced for both magic and melee. Um, so that has been a challenge for me. Um, I mean, like with the Tiamat fight, the magic users got fucked, but the melee users excelled. So... It just really, it's, it's been, it's been interesting and I'm hoping it's something that I can improve upon, uh, within the future of the podcast. <clears throat> Hell yeah. I, I love to hear that. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I do. I do find it very, uh, funny that I'm pretty sure Voltoroy, uh, only damaged Tiamat once at the very beginning of the fight. And then he got the killing blow, and he's a sorcerer, and he killed Tiamat with a fucking sword. Um, <laughs> all all of kinds that. Of that really has the that really has the statistics of a dagger. Like, let's be real. It's here. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the OG damage it does is one d four. So, yeah, just does a shit ton of radiant damage. Okay, Thorin. Um, we have another question for you. This is from our good pal Jacob Die back on Facebook. Is oh, yeah, there any species in D&D that you do not find hot? <laughs> um, great question. Like, great question. Like I answered to Jacob on um, on Facebook, if they cannot give, one, if they're not an adult, and two, if they can't give consent, then I'm not going to be attracted to them. But otherwise, it's it's open season, baby. It's fair game. <laughs> it's fair game. Oh my fucking! You God. heard it here, folks. Have you uh, have I, you I, seen I, the uh, the ooze people, Thorin? Are you into the ooze people? I don't think I have seen the ooze people. They're made out of ooze. And the walls, they ooze green slime. <laughs> I mean, no wait, they always do that. <laughs> I mean, isn't isn't Slime Girl a whole genre of porn? Yeah, no, right? Slime Girl is a whole genre of porn. Absolutely, for sure. absolutely. Yeah, wow. it's up there with people stuck in washing machines and stuff like that, which is oh my yeah. god. <laughs> and, I, uh... and like the whole and like the whole appeal of Slime Girl is that she can transform into anything, and like her whole body can basically be used as an entrance. So, so that's I a don't yes like on the, the way that I don't. I don't know how I feel about that phrasing. Um, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad phrasing, yeah. 
Her whole body can be viewed as an entrance. What is she? Like a cave? <laughs> no, a cave only has one entrance. Oh, oh, I guess that's true. This is this is an infinite amount. Oh. Anyway, wow. enough on this question. Let's get to the next question. Uh, infinite Thora, dicks that's for it for the DM specific questions. Oh, that's questions. it for the DM questions? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. You are free to hang out so this as long as you want. But if Please you do. have any I questions I feel that this isn't us, just a talk back, or isn't just a question episode. This is also a talk back. I have a question for everyone. Oh, yeah. um, how, how do you feel the progression, how do you feel about the progression of your characters from um, Horde of the Dragon Queen all the way through Rise of Tiamat? Do you feel satisfied with their stories? Do you feel satisfied with their endings? What's your what's y'all's opinions? Um, I'm I might be biased. I do think that Voltoroy had the best arc um, of the season. I'm just mm. gonna put that out there. I don't know if Raven and Jack disagree, but no, I agree with that. I don't. I don't disagree because especially um, with everything that happened with Bronzebeard. Uh, also, the stuff in my backstory about working stuff out with my mother um, mm. and realizing, you know, like, failing does not make you inherently, like, worthless or anything like that. And then also, of course, the hero killer. I, I feel like he had a good, like, three-step arc, like, dealing with these three little things of, like, should have shown mercy here, ended up showing mercy here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think Voltoroy had a fantastic arc, and I, I thank you, Thorin, for everything you did to cultivate that. Of course. No, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. It's, it's interesting for on, on my side for for Locke. I tried to I tried to design him to where he he didn't have much of a backstory because I wanted to be I wanted that like uh, the themes and like the way he treats things come about. From, like naturally from the story itself that's why he's got a family because i was like i think it would be funny to have like a adventurer who's got like no my family's fine yeah i'm on good terms with them <laughs> like you know like because Locke's just like a regular guy basically like on his like a rich prick on his gap year effectively um so yeah so i, th- I think um so for for my side it was it was interesting to see way, way back early on what happened with uh with Faye. In like episode twelve or something like that, um, it was interesting to see like the sort of journey he went on because that was for me like it was a very natural progression. Like there wasn't much in his past that for me to draw on. So that so it was good to see like it, the, the the camp the camp like lock story in the campaign is just lock story. Like there's nothing that influences it on either side. Um, yeah, which is a roundabout way of saying yeah. So I think I think that was very good. But it's also a roundabout way of saying I think it's also a testament to Luke and his backstory. How it was it, like you you work that in really nicely, uh, the pair of you. So that's a uh, that's a big big win on that one. Hell yeah, Henry Ray. True. Hell yeah. I have mixed feelings. I feel like there's a lot left to be explored with Annie. I feel like there's still things like I like her ending. I I like that she's happy and she has family. But it's like, how did she get there? Because especially Mm. towards the end of the campaign, I think you see her become a very... I don't know what the word is. She's very upset. She's very angry. She's been lied to by her 
what she assumes to be her best friends. I mean, they still are her best friends. But they were dishonest with her. That was a big moment of feeling like she can't she couldn't trust them. And as a character, I think from the beginning she was very much a this is my responsibility. I need to handle this myself. I have to do things myself because I she knew that she didn't have necessarily a big th- a big group to fall back on anymore. So I think it's I think it's the place where it's like I want to there are things that I still want to have answered for her. Um but I'm happy that she had a happy ending and got the sense of family that she had been craving. Um but yeah, I think it, I think it was it was a lot about her learning how to not that it, it couldn't have been done herself and I think like her not being able to kill um Mr. Silvergen was a big mm-hmm. moment of her having to come to terms with that. Um which was an upsetting moment for her. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's kind of how I feel about her and her ending. I think there are still things that personally I'm as, as Raven that I'm thinking about, like, well, how did that happen? How would she have done this? Um, you know, and I think, I think that's a normal part, a natural part of a D and D campaign. Um, hell yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, Raven and I had been, had been talking after the, um, after we recorded the finale as well, saying it might be, um, it might be something that late, uh, later on to do a if we if we need a special at all maybe having a uh, a special where we see like the uh, how uh, how Annie finds her father and maybe doing something like a little uh, little one shot that way or or something that might be a nice yeah. way to return to the character later on so it's it's nice to know for that sure. there's like the story the story there's opportunity for the story to continue for all the characters for sure I think I think there are a lot of open ended points and I I I feel like Annie's arc was sad pretty overall even though she remained Mm. to be quite positive character um i think by the end she was quite sad and i think at the ending she was happy but um she was there were moments where she was definitely very just not optimistic about the general outcome even though she tried to play face that she was optimistic but that was mostly for the sake of her comrades um because she always wanted to keep that positive face for her friends. <clears throat> I think the true t- turning point is when she finds out that, um, and if, if you all are skipping all the episodes and just listening to the talk back, you're going to get a bunch of spoilers. So don't do that. <laughs> um, but I think that one of the big turning points is when Volteroy and Locke tell her that Volteroy has agreed to basically pimp out his soul for Teresa's survival. And Annie, that pissed her off. She was not happy. Oh, I can only with yeah. with that transpiring and them not being honest yeah. with her. Um, so that was a big turning point for her character mm-hmm. and like how she viewed the whole situation. So, yeah, I mean, like yeah. one one thing that I did think about afterwards. I I didn't put this into words because I don't know how to articulate it on the pod, but it is it's it's fucked up for Annie that. If, if Volteroy and Annie do see each other as siblings and Volteroy is like, I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice, sacrifice myself, Locke, so that you can get your sibling back. But in so doing, I'm choosing you over Annie because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm taking Annie's yeah. sibling out of the world. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's pretty fucked up. But also, Volteroy was dealing with a lot of guilt about losing Teresa 
and I think he was the same way he was short-sighted when he, you know, blasted Bronzebeard in the fucking face. He was short-sighted yeah. in that moment. Um, and, and just didn't, didn't think before he acted. And so even though he did grow in lots of ways, he also still was a very human character that did not do everything right. I think those are yeah. that that's another interesting point of like seeking revenge and seeking justice that Annie didn't get to actually have like a finalized feeling towards because yeah. you know the whole yeah. Bronzebeard Annie thing was very much so they had a trusting relationship with each other and I think that's a interesting theme with Annie is that she so desperately wants just to have like one family member like even if it is her dad that she didn't know that anything that was a semblance of that was like, okay, cool. Like I'm bonding with this person. Let's have this relationship. Um, and lo and behold, he's a liar, but not only is he a liar, but Mm -hmm. Annie doesn't get to exercise full feelings of vengeance towards him either because his head gets blown off. So I think it's like multiple points where she's just like, well, fuck, I don't get to have experienced this, full complete journey and so when it happens again with severin it's just like mm, sore feelings picking at her yeah any any didn't have a lot of um what's it called closure say yeah well not just closure she didn't have a lot of closure but she also didn't have a lot of like sure. say in what did or didn't happen to her you yeah know? she didn't have a lot of control over that narrative yeah yeah what, there's a word for that but i cannot think agency of it. Agency, yes. I got Annie you. did not have a lot of agency. No, yeah. she didn't. Which is uh, interesting for as a as a character and as a player to to ha- have to come to terms with. That. I think that was a big theme of the campaign, which doesn't take away from Annie's specific story, but you know, on Locke's side as well, never finding out who killed Faye and not being able to kill the Rathator or get like get the revenge. Not even getting like another confrontation with uh, with the Rathator is I think a big theme of the of this particular campaign has been like has been that lack of agency and yet still cu- coming back to to do what you have to do. I mean, that's just the way I, inter- I interpreted it. Yeah, indeed. Well, um, I love you guys, and I loved uh, doing this with you. Um, I'm excited to DM again, whenever that may or may not be. Um, and I love you, audience. Please let us know what you think of everything. Um, comments, critiques, uh, everything's good, as long as it's positive. Anything negative, you're fucking out of here. Okay? <laughs> we um, will block you. Yeah, we will block you, and we will find out where you live, and we will, uh, flay you. <laughs> um, Oof. I... Also, I think it would be pretty cool if we ever do need like a special, like a, just a where are they now kind of situation for all these characters, you know? Uh, so let us uh, let us know how you feel about that, uh, you know. Let us know how you guys feel about that, uh, listeners. Um, anyway, I got a scoot, I got a boot scoot and boogie. So I will talk to you all later. I love you. Mwah. Bye. Thank you for sharing Lots this experience lo- with us. Serve up, s- serve up that text mix. Au revoir. Oh, I will. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Au revoir. Adios. Goodbye. Ciao. Well, now, now it's the real just fun begins. real men. <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm going to jump to another listener question uh, that that kind of led us into, and maybe we can even be more brutally honest now that Thorin's gone. 
our, our friend Kip, aka Cat, uh, got your hair tie. They ask, "Are there any arcs you wish you could have explored more with your characters this season?" And Raven, if you want to start with the obvious, I think go for it. Sure. I, I feel like I feel like Annie. There's a lot, and, and I already kind of touched on this, but there's a lot left to be said with her. Um, because she was very happy to be alive and not die in the throes of fighting Tiamat. Um, and she's very happy to still be with her friends. But I know for a fact that she left Locke and Voltori feeling very upset. Yeah. Um, like at the end of that fight, like she probably was not very okay with them for a little bit. Um, because if you think about it, progression wise she, she they lied to her or yeah. not necessarily lied but didn't tell her the truth or, oh, we or definitely avoided lied. the truth <laughs> yeah you avoided the truth and she got told the truth mm. but it was not there was no processing time because we pretty much had to go straight into oh this is what we have to do we have what to do you mean raven there was a 25 day march it's a 25 <laughs> well, fucking day march <laughs> i just kidding. but it was still, it was <laughs> not like we actually role played that though. exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> Yeah, uh, Thorne was just like, yeah, you know, it was... what would be fun if there was a twenty-five day march. <laughs> we we <laughs> bargained for against that twenty-five day march too. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But anyway, so I I do think that I, I would like to know and see how it plays out for her to leave that situation um, because I feel like that's where her arc truly ends, where we feel a sense of finality where we felt that finality with the um with the hero killer taking the ring for himself we we felt that sense of finality for mm. Voltroy's arc and we feel that sense of finality when Locke sees Teresa alive so i think it's just that sense of finality that enclosure that would kind of finish <clears throat> everything up for her yeah yeah uh, so what about you with Locke other than, uh, I mean, well, you I mentioned Arathator, yeah. but yeah, anything I mean, else? I, I, to be fair, I quite like it with Arathator. I quite like it just kind of being slightly anticlimactic for him. Like he's just, this is, because a, a big part of his sort of storyline has been other people dying when he should have, <laughs> uh, which I, it was, I, I thought was a lot, uh, uh, quite fun to play with. Um, the the two that stand out is, uh, one is exactly what Raven was saying. I w- because when when... Um, when Votoroy killed Bronzebeard, there was that period. There was like a small period where Locke was really upset about it because he like he put Votoroy in this pedestal, and that was really fun to role play. And it would have been, and that's more or less the only division that really came came for the team because otherwise we were really tight knit. And it would have been nice to role play a bit more and to explore that that side of things because. For for Annie, absolutely understand like that. Like that was a massive betrayal of the people closest to her, which obviously is a big part of her character. Um, and on Locke's side as well, he wasn't sorry for doing it. Like he like he like it, it, uh, it, that, that kind of warlock aspect of I will I will make deals regardless of the cost to get what I want was what I was trying to get get through mm-hmm. there. So it would have been interesting to see how they how they re- mended their relationship when Locke wasn't sorry and Annie shouldn't re- like wouldn't have been wouldn't have been able to forgive him necessarily um so that would have been good uh i would have yeah. also like the 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 main one for me because uh, again like i said Locke was kind of 
slightly nebulous with his storyline so I wanted to make it like just adapt to what the, the, the narrative themes of the campaign were rather than have stuff in the background to kind of uh, pull on and like, try and shoehorn in if I could because I'm, I'm quite poor at doing that uh, so the one I would have liked is Votary and the uh, the sacrificial ring and the Sultan of Souls because absolutely I, I understand. absolutely yeah yeah like like the fact that the hero killer snags it is narratively very satisfying in its own right because yeah. Voltoroy shows him mercy this is someone that was a true enemy and uh, for him to make that sacrifice for Voltoroy was huge uh, for the whole for the whole team was huge. But I feel like Thorin, one, could have put some breadcrumbs in about, like, stopping magical artifacts from having their properties. Like, like I, when my understanding was that when that ring went on, it was yeah, not coming was off. And the yeah. other aspect of that, which, Jack, you should touch on more, is you had a plan. And, yeah. and so mm-hmm. while I think Thorin did what he thought was was really great and i'm sure a lot of audience members really liked it and i really liked it there was another option that jack was going to try yeah i think uh so another another theme that i picked up on in like the campaign in general and a, a theme that Votoroy really inha- inhabited in a lot of ways is this idea of service because a lot of what we did like the the service uh, especially with the councils who we always fucking hated <laughs> being uh, being a part of is like we're serving the country serving the people trying to do what's right and like and the the sort of the the problems with that and how that works and uh, for for Locke so the the plan for Locke was that he was going to steal because I knew we were going to have a confrontation with Silvergen and he was going to steal his soul and then bastard that soul as well as his service to the genie, to the Sultan of Souls, and I thought it'd be, I thought that'd be a nice, like, full arc of where the first pact he had was purely self-serving, purely for himself, and then the pact he had with Bahamut was mostly to, because he he realized, he knew at that point that okay, well, I'm like I'm I'm a soldier in this fight, I need to I need to have the backing of that, and this would be like a full arc of him, of him going into service for someone else rather than himself. I thought that would have been very nice, uh, mm-hmm. a nice arc. And it also been that element of uh, Votoroy sacrificing himself for Locke and Locke sacrificing himself in a different way to prevent that sacrifice and like all, all of us fighting over each other, uh, which I thought would have been interesting um, to explore as, a, as an option. Yeah. I think, and I had already kind of mentally started preparing what Annie's reaction would have been if Votoroy... Mm if that deal did go through and it was pretty much, she was never going to speak to Locke again. Like she would, yeah. Locke would have been dead to her. Um, and even if that little pact had taken place, I think it would have been a very different ending. Um, she may have not even been willing to speak to either of them, but circumstances were circumstances. And, um, but she wasn't going to stick around to see what happened with the, with the deal she was going to be gone yeah. um out of there and so i i and i think that would have been interesting as well because you know her story starts alone and it would have ended alone too yeah and so it would have been like it would have been sad but you know the that would have been just how it is yeah and it could have been something to explore uh, later on because i i also considered that 
when like when I, when someone first gave me the deal of like of, of the soul, I, I was thinking of like who who to give it to and what to do. And I was like, if Vodroy dies as a result of this, Annie will never speak to Locke again. Now it'll fracture the group entirely, and it would have been a very bittersweet ending of mm-hmm. like um especially the fact that we all ended up surviving Tiamat. Like, because if 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 Vodroy had been killed during that, that'd have been a different thing because. That would have happened anyway, but if they, if we'd all survived as we did, and then it was like snap of the fingers, he drops down dead. That would have been heartbreaking, and that would have been uh, that would have been really interesting to have to role play like that broken relationship. Yeah, I was like fully ready to make like Annie was going to be an alcoholic. She was going to be like a deadbeat. She was going to be like the type that you see in the corner of the bar, and they're like, yeah. wasn't didn't she used to be like a badass and like. She's just downing pints left and right because she has like no healthy coping mechanisms. Like that, yeah. I was fully prepared to take her character there, um, which is why I was okay with like her not killing Severin. I was okay with that happening because I had already kind of accepted. You know, it's a good possibility that Voltoroy dies. Mm. Um, she's never going to speak to Locke again if that happens, and. I was just ready to take her character like full sad route. Like yeah, it was just going to be a full tragedy. In, yeah. yeah, like a yeah, full yeah. tragedy. Just fucking um, full sin, tears, sadness, agony, yeah, exactly, pain. Exactly. I feel that. Um, and I think that's part of like good stories. A-, a lot of times, you know, people like what's tragic because you can sure. find pieces of your own tragedies in them. Um, but I mean, I'm glad it didn't end that way. But I do think there are still pieces of that tragedy that exist, yeah. But just haven't been fully expounded upon yet because she was very mad at those two. She they were on her Dunzo list for a little yeah. bit. Complete, yeah, completely reasonable. Yeah, that would have been a good thing to uh, explore. Maybe we'll get a chance in. Uh, yeah. If there's any reunions that show up. Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. Um. Next question, we're going to kind of follow up a little bit of what we're talking about with Locke. This is from our our buddy 10, again on Discord. Jack, how awkward is Locke's afterlife going to be when he runs into Jamna, Faye, the Queen of Witches, Nil, and any other love interests he's had a dalyance with? And follow-up question, would he give up more to save them or his sister? Any one of them, I would imagine. Yeah, uh, to answer the first question, luckily in D&D there's a bunch of different afterlives. So, you know, like, Jamna is probably in hell. (laughs) 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 Which, like, nothing against her, great character, but, like, you know, she's she's probably... Faye might also be in hell, like, she didn't actually really redeem herself necessarily. Yep, Uh, yep. Massively, uh, Locke's probably also going to hell. <laughs> so that's all. That's all. Moot. Um, hope. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, by that point, Locke's like unfucked his soul and like all the packs and stuff enough that he can go wherever he's going to, uh, and be in a state of peace. Where you know what, Polycule. Let's just go poly straight Polycule. <laughs> if if like. If heaven, if heaven and D and D, or even you know, if if the afterlife exists and you go there and people aren't just all down for being in a massive polyamorous relationship, what's the fucking point? Like you know, so hopefully, yeah, that's man, brother, what's the fucking point? 
I guess you're right. right. Um, um, so this yeah. question is going to be for both of you. What mm. inspired the wedding scene? Was it oh. something you talked about beforehand? Was it spur of the moment? And why those two characters <laughs> specifically? I think I can answer that last question. If any, if any two characters were going to get married, it it was going to be those two. Like who else? Who yeah. else was into each other? You know. So yeah. Um, so, but as far as for the other two, three questions. What inspired it? Was it spur of the moment or was it planned? So, um, I mean, and Jack can also speak to this. I mean, jokes were made kind of off podcasts about uh, Elian and uh, Sally. Um, mostly, I think, because Sally is a very damp person <laughs> and Elian is yeah. a is a essentially a walking fungal body. So if you if you know anything about ecology and um, ecosystems in, in general, is that uh, where dampness is, uh, mold and fungi thrives. Uh, so that's kind of, I think, part of the inspiration behind it. Um and uh, the the wedding was very spur of the moment. We we yeah. improved that our, our vows and everything that was completely off the top of the dome. Um, but yeah, I mean Jack can speak more to it as well. No, absolutely. It did. Uh, yeah, it was, it was. It started as jokes about how how compatible they were in terms of like you know, as as you say the uh, the the fungus and damp damp root. Yeah. Uh, work that. But then as as it sort of progressed, it kind of. Uh, it, was, it ended up becoming quite wholesome because, I mean, for, for both of them as, as characters, especially being secondary characters who are, you know, in a in a very unkind way could be viewed as just ways to just replacements for, like, just narrative mm-hmm. re- uh, replacements for the main cast. So, and, but there was so much tension when we got, when we were getting towards the end uh, this last battle, there was so much like we all th- we didn't know what was going to happen. We thought for sure Voshoi was going to die. I thought we were all going to die <laughs> in general. Yeah. yeah there was, so there was a lot of like a lot of culmination of everything. And for us as players, and at the very least, it's a case of we've been doing this one campaign for well over a year, and that's mm-hmm. like and getting to like the final boss fight of that, as anyone who's ever done a big campaign knows, is a lot. It takes you know it's it's a lot of pressure to think about like this is it. This is the the end of that. So to ha- like to to have a moment like uh you know that it's the Harry Potter Weasley wedding. It's like this lovely lovely <laughs> yeah. little moment in in the middle of a horrible war where despite everything you can have this uh this really sweet moment between two people. I think that's you know um, ended up being quite like very spur of the moment. But I think it was really it could have gone better if we planned it. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. Um, also, Elian was actually the I want to say he. Annie and Elian are both characters that I've made, and I know Jack also made Locke uh, quite some time ago, mm-hmm. uh, but they were both characters I made a while ago, and um, so it's been fun to uh, see Elian uh, morph into something that's very different than what I initially started playing uh, with them as, and... Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't necessarily pigeonhole him because when I was thinking, Elian's kind of weird, and so the seeing the relationship flourish was very, like like Jack was saying, mm. wholesome, um, and happy. It was a happy moment for yeah. the campaign. 
we didn't we didn't get a chance to uh, like have uh, sort of the uh, the B team have uh, that uh, that much money to see where they were. But uh, if I if I recall, I think our our head cannon for them was they were going to get like a houseboat <laughs> together, and yeah, just, uh, yeah, with an yeah, old garden like on the on the top, and yeah. just retired to the domestic cozy life. I'm sure that's exactly around. what they did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so what did, sure. uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts about what Sancho Sancho did afterwards? Poncho. Poncho, you're, you're, yeah, I keep you're using the name no, of no, the no, real just character. The donkey. Just the donkey. <laughs> uh, yeah, burrito. Uh, burrito definitely lives a happy life. Poncho. I mean, yeah, I'm down for the houseboat. I think he probably would have built the boat, or you know, with Sally. <laughs> yeah, um, probably actually. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Make a whole ass motorized vessel. Um, you know, Poncho for me, I always thought Poncho was going to die. Poncho was pretty much a joke character. Uh, it's it's very nice to hear that people like him. Um, I've gotten some positive feedback about him. It's very sweet that he and Burrito have this relationship. Um, it's also, it was very nice that he got to be um, uh, Elian's uh, man of honor, I suppose. Um, that all of that was very, was very touching. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he survived and Burrito survived is already like a huge win for me. He's going to fuck off and do whatever he wants. You know? <laughs> Um, I want to, I want to take a break from the listener questions for a second and ask, what do y'all think of the module of the campaign itself? Um, Mm. detached from how Thorin ran it, just like this adventure, what, what are we feeling? Hmm. Uh, personally, uh, I think it's a bit, it's, uh, over, overall, like there's, I think there's some very good moments in it. Overall, I think it's a big old stink. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, very stinky. Uh, and my, I'll, t- I'll tell you the why. It, it's very railroady in terms of where you go and what you do. Like it, it, it pretends it isn't because it goes. You got two yeah. different locations to go to, but yeah. um, but not only is that the case, but once you're there. That's also like it's also what happens in any of those locations is very. Uh, they planned like uh, at the, yeah. there are several points where players can prevent like if they get one of the dragon masks, which is qu- relatively easy to do. Like there were ch- times when we could have done that, but because of various reasons we didn't. They managed to go. If you if you do that, Tiamat doesn't get to rise. But obviously, yep. the whole point of the module is Tiamat's. Yeah. It's it's not called yeah. the potential rising of Tiamat. <laughs> Tiamat might rise. (laughs) Yeah, it's called the rise of Tiamat. I I agree completely. And uh, that is, I think, my biggest critique with the the campaign. If your players do things right and well, you will have a very narratively unsatisfying ending. Everyone wants to fight the five-headed dragon. You want to do that. As a player, it's like, that'll be fucking fun. But my character doesn't want to fight the fucking dragon. Yeah, my character wants to stop this from happening. And if you stop it from happening, your player is unsatisfied. And if you don't, then it's like, well, damn, like, I guess my characters aren't as great as I thought they were. And, Mm -hmm. and the railroading all the way up to that, I I don't fuck with it. Uh, I think I think this campaign is mid at best. Obviously, Tiamat is fucking dope. There are a lot of cool story beat moments, a lot of like really cool stuff happens. But ultimately, it's yeah, it's not for me either. I would not recommend this campaign to other people. What about you, Raven? Um, I think it's a bit of a slog at points. Not necessarily. I don't think it's as hard as other campaigns that exist. There are harder ones, certainly, that will play eventually. Um, It's a bit of a slog in the way that, 
let us reflect back on the caravan. <laughs> like, you know, things like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Then a beat of silence. Um, yeah. And that I mean, kind of. Yeah, if we're talking about the two campaigns being one, which they are. Yeah. yeah. Two new dragons. Yeah. Pairing. And I feel, um, I feel so. And, and obviously the second half, the second um, action, the actual rise of tiamat i think yeah. there's a lot more action there's a lot more it's um, better it is better it is better that first half feels like a chore at times it feels like um from the moment you hit greenness it's like holy fuck like and i think that's kind of we, we always joked around like why are we always the ones that have to do everything what well, it really does feel like that the way the campaign sets it up um and i know that's kind of the whole point of D, but but. There are moments like the caravan that oh, and Big Butt is other books do the same thing where it's like I guess it has to be us, but it's no one telling you it has to be you. Like, yeah, exactly. To, like, I mean, like Curse of Strahd, you are transported into another dimension and you're trapped mm-hmm. there by a fucking sociopath, and it's like, well, of course it has to be us. We have to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, Tomb yeah. of Annihilation. It's like, it doesn't have to be you because everybody's trying to stop this mm. and everyone is losing. Everyone is dying. Like the, 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 like the people that like hire you in Tomb of Annihilation, when you ask, because your character's a level one, you're like, why do you want us to do it? She's like, you're just the next round of people I'm asking. Yeah, exactly. You're not special. Yeah. I've already exactly. sent three teams and they're all fucking dead. Like, do you want to give it a shot? And I'll pay you a lot of money. Now, if we're going to talk about slogs, yeah. Tomb of Annihilation is a is a fucking slog and a doozy of a campaign. And that's Time one campaign it. that when I when I started playing D&D with friends at an old place, at an old place of work, um, that's a campaign we tried to run. We died so many times that it's yeah. not even funny. Like, it, that's it's, not it's, a, That's not a campaign for new players. No, it's, but that's it's, just it's an difficult. example, right? There, there are tons yeah. of campaigns, and, and similarly, right? Like, um, I mean, like I think Storm King's Thunder is the next big campaign we're gonna run, mm-hmm. right? Like, in that, there are story beats that it's like this doesn't really have to be you, but why wouldn't it be? You know, like yeah. mm-hmm. whereas this is like there are so many story beat moments in this campaign where it's like. Thank you. You did a great thing here. We'll take it from here. But that's how it feels. Like the, the council is such yeah. a cool concept, but ultimately it's like, all right, you're with the most powerful leaders in the realm and you're all level six and they want you to do this big thing, mm. even though they're each leaders of their own faction and they could send people that are way better qualified. Yeah. Like it just exactly. doesn't, that shit doesn't it, add up. Um, yeah. I mean, if, uh, if I if I could jump in with just uh if if I was to rewrite it or if I was to run it a different like a different a way to tweak it perhaps uh for other other DMs out there who really want to run it because they they love the idea of it but I don't enjoy like the way it goes I think uh number one have have Tiamat's rise be guaranteed instead of it being a case of like maybe maybe they have like they, I'm sh- I'm ha- happy for the cult to be preparing for it but maybe it's like a celestial alignment once every 10,000 years yep. whatever yep. it's going to happen and That's people a good have move. just found, like like the prophecy's just been discovered or whatever and um and the second point is all the political stuff in there is really good and they don't 
give enough depth to it, like having to navigate the different prejudices, mm-hmm. the uh, like, like, like stuff with like exactly. the dwarves who had like the armor of like of the yeah. skin dragon. Really impressive. So it would be, I think it would be better if like Waterdeep was like a, a hub, and you had all these different like all the locations you go to, like the uh, the Sea of Moving Eyes, Thay, uh I've forgotten its name, but the Elven Kingdom in the forest, or they're all mm-hmm. just places, and you get to pick where you go next and which political faction you want to do and you're like emissaries or diplomats instead yeah i think that yeah. might have been a more interesting way to get the players in as because- acting as a diplomat you yeah. end up fighting cultists yeah that's exactly jack and they I should think- pay you to write this shit <laughs> exactly they should pay me wizards <laughs> of the coast <laughs> and i think i think still for the for the purpose and the sake of you know there's a first half to this campaign that's mm. the build-up to it is a little bit different right because we're just a ragtag group of people that initially were doing a few what seemed to be easy jobs, but then they're like, hmm, you you all seem quite capable, so we're going to send you on some uh, other, other tasks to do. Yeah. I think that could have been um, shaped into the whole political aspect could have been involved much earlier to make it yeah. feel cohesive from one part to the next instead of making it feel so separate um mm. and i mean warranted it feels like forever ago that we did a uh, horde of the dragon queen but um i i think that there it just feels so separate like those are two completely different narratives yeah. when they're not yeah. and i think it's because they're formatted so differently wherein the rise of tiamat it's a lot of political gameplay and a lot of getting people on your side getting these groups to mm. side and align with you and also why is that so difficult and like how <laughs> why are people not unified yeah the fucking against? world like, is it, ending right. it's like yeah. come on yeah exactly it feels like mm. these people like think are, about this not, shit y'all it's yeah. fucking stupid exactly yeah. so yeah. But, but yeah, but that and that and that could have been very easily like the crux of it. Like I, I think it would have been better as well if there was more like the if like because I mean we like we were very disrespectful of the council almost at almost at mm-hmm. every every move. And I think it might have been more interesting if like if if it was written more into the campaign because uh, as far as I'm aware, because I I, I think uh, as far yeah as far as I'm aware it isn't that like the way you interact with the council has repercussions like. Like when you do vote against someone, what if they send assassins after you? Or what if they like they like? I mean, the Zentrum lady. What if she came up to you afterwards and was like, "Hey, okay, I I'd rather you on my side than not. I I will pay you to be like my agents, uh, and if you don't, I'm going to kill your family." Or something along those lines. Or a different politician is like you know, the, the politicians try to like vie for like personal power by trying to poach you as adventurers, and you have to decide who's going to be your benefactor, who's going to be your patron whether you align with anyone or the dangers that come with that that mm-hmm. might have been an interesting way to navigate it rather than it being the case of why aren't these people working together you know right and I, and I think it's it's also fair that would have been interesting to see those repercussions because I mean out of the three of us Locke was arguably the most um politically adept considering his background of mm. and yeah where he came from in life meanwhile you have healer holy man and someone who used to be part of essentially a mercenary troop so it's it's you you have people that aren't politically i mean aligned really and 
obviously they don't know how to behave in front of a council or how yeah. to best navigate those situations. So seeing those repercussions would have been interesting. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. I'm going to pull us back to a listener question. Sure. Um, this is uh, from Sydney Donahue. Maybe you've heard of her hey. um, on Facebook. Hey. She's asking if you had to get a D&D tattoo, what would it be? And, oh, shit. Uh, Raven, you're the most tatted out of everyone on the pod. Uh, well, thank what would you. you. What would you go with? Um, I actually do have plans to get a D&D tattoo. So hey. now that we, um, this is not, I haven't scheduled my appointment yet, but um, now that we have finished the campaign, I want to get one of Annie's rapiers on my arm. So I don't know. I haven't really talked about my tattoos on the podcast before, but I have a kind of a weapon media slash you know not like a full sleeve yet but i'm working on a sleeve and i already have one game of thrones uh sword tattoo i have oath keeper for fellow game of thrones fans um and a couple other sharp and pointy things so i'm going to add another sharp and pointy thing and get hell yeah hell yeah that's That's a good question what would you do jack uh i think i'd probably have to go for something that represents all all three of us as a as a party mm. like the dragon slayers um it'd, it'd probably be some sort of custom custom like uh logo for the dragon slayers or like maybe a little motto on the end like a kind of coat of arms type thing uh it could be the logo I, I for their bar about it. it could be the logo for the bar yeah yeah for the, dra- uh, the dragon slayer uh, dragon slayers bar uh yeah so, so I mean, it's, it's something I'd have to think uh, think about, but definitely something I think that would represent the three the three of us. And because for me, that was that was the the part of the campaign that was the richest, and those bonds really were really special. And I think that'd be mm-hmm. that'd be good to commemorate. What about you, Luke? Yeah, I've so I've had kind of two different ideas. One being, I like the idea of if. We could do this as a podcast group, but I've thought about this for a matching tattoo with Thorin. Going into uh, a tattoo parlor with a D20, rolling it, whatever it lands on, getting that tatted. Um, and it's just kind of like a an homage to the... Fa- One of the reasons D&D is such a great game is because of the randomness. And that's so true for every dice game ever. Is like, mm-hmm. you can you can do all this, but like the randomness of the universe is going to affect your story and it makes it so fucking great. Um, and so I really like that idea. The other thing, if I ever have a character that I just like love so much, um, that I'm just like obsessed with them, uh, I would also do some sort of like rapier type thing, like whatever their weapon was or whatever their thing was. Mm-hmm. But I really haven't had that. And while I love Volteroy so, so much, uh, and I really love getting to play him uh, in this show, he's just like, I think maybe like we're too different. I don't, I, there's a, obviously a lot of me in Volteroy, um, especially his stuff with Mercy. I mean, if you don't know, listening yeah. to this podcast, I'm a public defender. Um, so I, I truly believe in, in uh, the tenant of Mercy. But there's, um, yeah, there's something, some sort of disconnect from me and Volteroy. And, and maybe it's just that he doesn't have like his signature thing that I would want to get tattooed on me. But, mm-hmm. um, but if I had a character like Annie, I, I will say like, I think Raven loves Annie more than I love Volteroy. Um, yeah. 
And so if, if I had that character uh, in my heart, you know, I, I would get something like that tattooed. Yeah. Get his little bald head on you. <laughs> no, no thank you. Actually, it's uh, it's 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 funny you mention that with the uh, the character because for for me, uh, for me of Log, like I I came up with Log. Log was the very first RPG character I came up with before I even had a tra- like like many people who love D and D didn't have a chance to play it for a very long time but was obsessed yeah. with it and would I like, make her own character and Locke was one of those ca- uh, was one of those and the first time I probably got to play with him I was like eighteen or nineteen. And he was much more of like your sort of stereotypical bard. He was much more of like he was a bit sleazy, a bit like a bit more of a con man, a bit all, all this sort of stuff. He, like he didn't care that much about people. And by the time I was playing him now for the, for this, even though Locke is very much like he's very much modelled on me at that time, I, I playing this campaign, I come to realise like I still love Locke and I love the spe- that he's got a very special place in my heart. But he's not. He's very far removed from the person that I am now many years uh, many years later so i'd be interested mm-hmm. as like like you're saying uh like in another one of these campaigns making a character that's more in tune with who i am now and seeing if i'd love them as much or more as a result mm-hmm. yeah yeah hell yeah cool our next question from facebook is from christian george christian george asks do any of these fuckers ever come out of the wall and yell something like horse cock or donkey dick? Uh, I think it's a joke question, a uh, reference to a great episode of I Think You Should Leave uh, with Tim Robinson. But uh, we appreciate you putting that down, Christian. And the last uh, listener question I have for this episode on uh, this talkback is, Jacob Dye asks, my question for Jack is... What part of Bolt made you cry? <laughs> uh, it would be, it would be more it would be a easier question to ask if you were asked me which parts I didn't cry at. Oh my um, god! There, there's there's a lot of them. Uh, Mitten's story about uh, being declawed and put back in maybe bore my eyes out. Um, of course, like uh, all the times Bolt like has his reality shaken and. His response to finding out that everything he knows is a lie is to go. No, I'm still gonna go after. I'm getting to. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to. Instead of talking about it, <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, he's still gonna go after her. Uh, of course, at the end when he does the super bark and that's what saves them, and it goes through. That uh, gets it. Uh, and my partner Hannah uh, still makes fun of me to this day uh, because at, at the end, for who uh, haven't seen it, the uh, spoilers, I guess. Uh, Bolt spoilers it, coming. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Bolt stops being an actor and all. All the strays he's collected along the way and everything, they they get to move into a lovely uh, home and it pans out and they're on this beautiful farm and I burst into tears and I went, I hoped it was a farm. <laughs> I, I, I guess that'd be the end of like quite early on. Oh my god, that is funny. Oh, that's perfect. That Great is film. Funny. Oh, <laughs> well, see the part that made me tear up is when his you bolt teared up in bolts like, too. Yeah, man. I t- when I first saw it, it made me cry a little bit. Dude, I saw a kitten at PetSmart the other day. It was only eight months old. And on her little bio card, it said, just recently finished raising two kittens of my own, and I'm ready to be a kitten again. And I started sobbing in the PetSmart. Oh, my God. Sobbing. (laughs) Jack is going to start crying now, too. It's so sad. I was like, she's (laughs) That's why we got time for the game, guys. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, uh, Are there any closing remarks for this this double campaign we just um, uh 
endured and fought through and bled together in. So um, I think it would be fun, and I, I mentioned this, but almost like a a farewell to the characters, um, and we can say what we want to say and how we feel about them and what we've enjoyed playing, the aspects we've enjoyed playing um, them as the most. Um, and that can be kind of our send-off. All right, you want to start? Yeah. Sure. Um, and, I, and I've talked some with the gang, the boys, about this, uh, not on the podcast. But I started when I started playing as Annie, um, and very much so like Jack with Locke, but slightly different, um, is that when I started playing Annie, she I initially played her as a bard. And now, obviously, she's a swashbuckler rogue. But I, I played Annie as a character where I was like, oh, wow, these are aspects that, like, this is what I wish I could be like as raven as a person in real life and i think one of my favorite parts is seeing how bits and pieces of our personality started to really converge and that was just kind of a natural part of the um the narrative and the story and yeah and so that i think that's that's one of the things that i really enjoyed is that annie is really like me and it's not really like just a projection of me wanting to be like her mm. um but yeah so it's been a blast playing as her and hopefully she'll be back in the future for something hell yeah that's beautiful all right jack uh i think i think for Locke, the part i enjoy playing the most or like the part of his personality that really spoke to me is the uh, i spoke about a little earlier is this aspect of like very early on, the anger he has about like all the loss and and heartbreak and destruction that's being done. The anger he has at that, and he points into becoming like a semi-suicidal soldier. They're not in the sense uh, of like being depressed or anything like that, but more in the sense he's like, I'm going to die in this war. I'm going to go out because Team Matt's going to rise. I'm going to go out swinging. So I'm, I'm like, I'm going to die on my feet rather than anything else. And then having that mentality just consistently not lead to his own death, but others really uh, had an interesting effect and i think it, it really matched what uh, like an element of my own life that i kind of that like uh, i kind of value which is this idea that everyone's going to go through things that they never thought they would be able to overcome that they never thought they would uh, or or events that will happen and they never thought would happen to them or they never saw themselves sort of surviving succeeding whatever it might be and there's a kind of element, it sounds, it sounds really uh, sort of, I don't know, kitschy, I guess, but it's like that life just continues on and so do you. And it's trying to find the good you can do it, with that, even if, like, instead of asking why or trying to, like, think about why why do I deserve this or how is this possible, how did I get here, it's kind of a case of, you, reality is as it is and you have to do the good you can with the time you have left. Uh, and I think that was a, a part of Locke, I was really excited to see develop and uh, quite naturally and organically. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sad to see him go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very, uh, very sweet. Um, it is bittersweet. It's bittersweet letting go of these characters mm. and, um, mm. you know, not having them anymore. I mean, I think I talked a little bit about Voltoroy with me and being a public defender and, and the kind of stuff, but. I mean, I also, I really, I really enjoyed playing um, a character that uh, just generally 
I guess, like, was able to support even out of combat, but in combat, I really enjoyed playing just a kick-ass support character. I w and Thorne was making fun of us earlier about min-maxing. Dude, I always min-max. Don't let anybody yeah. hate on you for min-maxing. Yeah. I fucking... No. I love... I, I'm just... I'm such a competitive, driven person. I'm like... I'm the person that like wants my to build a character that can fuck shit up, and Voltoroi yeah. did that. And that mm -hmm. reminds me, uh, I did before we go. I want to mention uh, the final kill counts for everyone. Oh, okay. Mm. Let's see now, here. Bear, bear in mind, Lock was locked up for a long time. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Um. So first off, um, each of us, as Teresa, Leeson, and Jamna, got one kill. Um, which is uh, okay. fantastic in its own right. Um, Elian ended up with a total of four kills. Uh, good job, Sally. Elian. Hell yeah, um, Elian. Sally Salt ended up with 27 kills. That's going to be more than luck. And Poncho, Poncho ended up with 13 kills plus the Baylor. Um, Sally Salt also uh, got some uh, mentions in the fact that she did kill uh, the knight uh, and the gargantuan mm. spider, the tile knight and the gargantuan yeah. spider. Um, as far as our friend Locke Dangerfield goes, uh, in third place, he did get 10, 20, 30, 42 kills. Okay. Hell yeah. Plus, that's, that's, more than I thought. that's more than I thought. Plus the white dragon and Lenathon. Lenny. Yeah. He got both of those kills. And Lenny. you can also, you can attribute uh, Severance to him as he was uh, in charge of Bluster. In second place. No, that was Bluster's kill. Don't you take that away from him. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bluster. <laughs> uh, with 55 kills in second place is Annie Oakleaf. Annie Oakleaf uh, also uh, managed to kill Cyanrath, yeah. the zombie ogre. <laughs> Resmir, Orca Heart, and Near in Vain. So uh, Annie, Annie really racked up the boss kills. Uh, and then in first place uh, with... Uh, with 79 kills Ooh, is Wolteroy Shans. 79 shit. kills. Um, also some... Uh, <laughs> Some notable bosses, of course, Bronzebeard, as well as the Tile Chimera, and of mm -hmm. course, Tiamat herself. <laughs> so, fun little stats I kept for you all in the audience. I hope you enjoyed. You. Mm -hmm. So um, funny that the pacifistic doctor was the one. I mean, to be fair, from the get-go, he was like, no, heaven's a lovely place. You'll love it when you get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Blast. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I did really love and that about Voltoroi. That was a fun trope to, to play into. Mid-maxing is that uh, fucking who cares? Go on yeah, Reddit and see fun. what people say. Reddit is a great place to see what people say about building d, &D characters. Yeah, um, it's so true. It's so true. Uh, yeah. Um, so. Of course, we want to thank our audience for listening. Yeah, big thank whether you. Whether... Mm -hmm. You love this season, whether you hated this season, whether you want to, if you want to run Tyranny of Dragons, you should run it. If it sounds like the best thing ever to you, please do it. We made this podcast 
with the thought in mind that we want to help people run campaigns, you've heard one way to run it. I think Jack offered up a lot of great uh, critiques for this campaign. Mm-hmm. Implement those. Make it so that on the last day of the year, uh, there is going to be a once in 10,000 year solstice that the Dragon Cult can use to bring Tiamat back. I think that's a great fucking idea. Play with it however you want. You know, you can change things uh, for your liking. That's what we want to see. Um, our next season is going to be another Bradley Copper season, his penultimate season. Uh, me and Thorne will be reuniting. Uh, but there may be uh, there may be some some surprises there you're not expecting. So um, mm-hmm. I hope you uh, you enjoy that. And um, once again, thanks for listening to Modular. Modular, as you know, is Ravenwalker, Jack Dean, Luke Job, and myself, Thorn George. We appreciate you for listening to The Rise of Tiamat. It has been a fantastic and wonderful journey for, I know myself, and hopefully for those involved and those listening. Holly Lyons is our fantastic editor. Bethany Gray does our gorgeous cover art. Our music today was written and performed by Max Hedman. You can find Max's music anywhere you listen to music. You can follow us on Twitter at ModThePod. Join our private Facebook group at The Modular Podcast Fan Club. Follow us on Instagram at The Modular Podcast. Follow us on TikTok at The Modular Podcast. And subscribe to us on YouTube at The Modular Podcast. You can email us with any questions about our show at ModularThePodcast at gmail.com. I want to give a quick shout-out to someone who I feel doesn't get enough thanks for what he does in the show. I want to give a shout-out to Luke. Uh, he works hard. He puts a lot of time and effort into doing this. He's He does the planning for the seasons. He uh, spearheads the scheduling for the episodes. He is always on us saying, Hey, I just want to make sure we get this out at a good time uh, on the right day. He is... He's he's essentially, if Holly is the backbone, then Luke is the brain. And I can't thank him enough. New episodes come out every Tuesday. And until then, thank you for listening to Modular. <laughs>